Hi, it's Ken White. And it's Josh Barrow, and it's Serious Trouble. Ken, I have very exciting news about Substack. You know, I mean, we we host this podcast on Substack. We're always excited when Substack gets a new high-profile personality. Uh, we think it's great, the newsletter boom, and how we have independent media, and anybody with important, interesting things to say can get out there on the internet and develop an audience and be heard far and wide. Ah, oh, Josh, that's nice. It's, it's, it is true that I've been trying to write more on Substack recently, <laughs> putting out some emails, so I, I appreciate you noticing. Yes, yeah. Uh, if you are not following the Popat Report on Substack, uh, you should definitely be uh, following Ken at popat.substack.com. But no, I'm not. I'm not talking about you, Ken. I'm talking about Sam Bankman-Fried, much more famous than you, and he's on Substack, and he is talking about matters of great interest, uh, sharing his version of what happened with FTX and reprising his arguments about why it's so terrible that they put it in bankruptcy and John J. Ray III is running the company into the ground, and here are all the things that I would do to recover all of the money for the good investors and customers of FTX if I were in charge. He's taken that message to Substack, and I think that's very exciting. Yeah. So leaving aside my first inclination, which is to respond to this not in English with a prolonged howl of outrage and <laughs> angst. Uh, yes, saying Bagman Fried has decided to talk about the case and what he knew and when he knew it and what his thoughts are, and more or less to traipse through the elements of various federal crimes on Substack. Now, I have to admit, this is partially my bad because I'm always out there saying, don't go on Twitter and talk about crimes. Don't go on the news and talk about crimes. Don't email people about crimes. But I've been looked back and, and I can't find anywhere where I didn't specifically say, don't Substack about your federal crimes. That was an important and loophole, Ken. That's on me. Especially with me. the rising importance of Substack in our society. It is a key vehicle through which people make statements about matters, including crimes they may or may not have committed. You really need to include that on the list. And I should know at this point that clients like Sam Beckman fried require a certain level of specificity in deterring them from doing dumb things that perhaps the rest of us might not require. So I'm, I'm building actually a... a a hub of every uh, social media platform known to humankind, and I'm going to be just listing that as don't talk here. Is, is there a reason that you feel emotional investment in this? Like, he's not your client. Like, I understand when your clients do things that interfere with their good fortune and cause trouble for you, why that would bother you. But what what is the source of your view generally that uh, people facing criminal charges or people involved in civil disputes ought to behave in strategically appropriate ways? What's the skin off your back? Well, he stands in for all clients, including mine. He stands in for the human condition that I have to confront in the course of my career. He stands in for the idea that when a new client comes to me, I'm delighted and shocked when they haven't already given the eight-hour interview to the FBI. Uh, <laughs> so I'm mad at an archetype, basically. Just like when you get mad on social media, Josh, about various fatuities of modern life and assumptions and foolish things people do, even if they're not directly in your face, but just out there. Uh, it's the same type of thing. I don't know what you're referring to. I don't do that. He, he's, he's a bad influence on everybody, like Martha Stewart or someone like that. Uh, and it makes me mad because people will think, hey, that guy went out and did that. Why don't I too? 
Okay. Um, well, let's uh, let's talk about somebody else who's been making some public comments about some legal trouble uh, that he could be facing, which is the president, Joe Biden. So they they keep finding documents marked classified on properties associated with Joe Biden and not like in a skiff in the White House. But, uh, uh, for example, in the garage of his home in Wilmington, uh, which was used for the, the storage of certain presidential records, was not supposed to be classified records. Uh, and so I guess, you know, they, they found some of these right before the midterms on November 2nd, um, when they were, you know, trying to like close out some files there. They notified the National Archives, and then they did a search, and then they found some more documents. And now there's going to be a special counsel uh, overseeing the investigation. Merrick Garland uh, has appointed this guy, Robert Herr, to be the special counsel uh, who will oversee that. That's, you know, some two and a half months after the initial finding of the documents. And so, you know, the, there's all the the political, you know, it's well, you know, Trump had the documents, but then he also had the documents. And what does that mean politically? But let's talk first about like what potential legal exposure there is here. Is this the sort of thing that could end up being a criminal matter? Could it? Yes. Is that plausible based on what we know? No. So we have to look at what actually happened here and contrast it with a series of events that led to Mar-a-Lago being searched by the FBI. So in Biden's case, they are cleaning out the office of some entity called the Penn Biden Center for Diplomatic and Global Engagement, which is also what I call my couch. And in the course of doing that, there was a locked closet. And in the closet, they found a bunch of boxes of documents. And in one of the boxes of documents were 10 or so documents that had a classified marking. And what happened was the same day they notified the White House counsel, and because these were Joe Biden's personal attorneys doing this, and they notified the National Archives about it. So they immediately blew the whistle on Joe Biden on themselves. Over the course of some more searches, they found a few more documents at Biden's home. I think it's a total of six or so. And each time, once again, they notified the White House counsel, and they notified the archive, and they turned all the documents over. So uh, what Merrick Garland did in his capacity as attorney general is he he made a preliminary appointment of someone named John Lausch, who is the United States attorney for the Northern District of Illinois, and asked him, get this investigation started and kind of see what what's going on. And after a couple of months of that, uh, on January 12th, uh, the attorney general decided to appoint a special counsel. And he did so to look into this whole issue of the documents found in Biden's center and also in his home. His announcement is somewhat significant just in its language. Remember that the attorney general has the authority under Department of Justice regulations to appoint a special counsel under two circumstances. One, when they find that there's a conflict of interest that requires it, and one when it would be in the public interest. That's what he says here, that this would be in the public interest to have someone independent investigate this situation. And so he appointed uh, Mr. Robert Herr. Herr is uh, the former U.S. attorney from Maryland. He was appointed to that position by President Trump. Uh, he used to be a deputy attorney general under Rod Rosenstein, working on Rod Rosenstein's participation in the special counsel investigation of President Trump. So he knows this stuff. He's extraordinarily well qualified and irritatingly young and seems like a very credible choice <laughs> for this type of thing. And I think that because he was appointed to his last big job by President Trump, he doesn't have the look of a Democratic partisan. 
So now he gets to dig around and find out, was there a crime? But there's some things, like you said, Josh, already lots of hay is being made over this. Mm-hmm. And everyone, uh, you know, at Christmas, the uh, relatives on that side of the aisle will saying, oh, well, now Biden did the exact same thing. Well, no, he didn't, not based on anything we've seen. Remember, Trump wound up with a search warrant and a special counsel uh, because he took documents. He did not turn them over when they were subpoenaed. He allegedly lied about whether or not they had been turned over. And he publicly claimed that he was allowed to keep them and that he had magically transformed them non-classified with his mind and uh, things like that. So it's a very different situation that Biden still has some documents someplace. The instant they're found, they're immediately turned over and the appropriate authorities are alerted and he's cooperating. So the Trump type of behavior where you take documents, you refuse to cooperate, you defy a subpoena, you possibly lie about whether or not you've cooperated with the subpoena and you make a big stink about it. That's the type of thing that's more likely to get you charged with regard to documents. Biden's course of action is much less likely because on some of these statutes that might apply, you have to show an intent to take the documents away, an intent to wrongfully withhold them. So that's something that's more plausible in Trump's case and less plausible uh, in Biden's case. Well, also, I mean, that famous press conference that James Comey gave in 2016 explaining why he wasn't indicting Hillary Clinton or why he wasn't recommending that Hillary Clinton be indicted because it weirdly got thrown in his lap, even though that's really supposed to be a prosecutor's decision. His explanation was more or less along these lines, right? It was that basically while while Hillary Clinton had mishandled certain government records, uh, including certain classified information, although it wasn't clear if it was marked classified at the time it was mishandled, in any case, that her, her behavior was extremely careless, I believe was Comey's description, but that these sorts of cases were not ordinarily charged. And the reason was basically that she and her team have been cooperative all along about the rectifying it after the stuff had come to light. And so you could, your behavior can be quite bad in this regard, even extremely careless. Um, and it still would not be typical that criminal charges would be the way that it would be resolved. But I thought it was interesting something you said there about the way Trump got himself a search warrant at a special counsel. Because the way he got himself a search warrant was by being obstinate about all of these things and not complying with the subpoena and that sort of thing. The way he got himself a special counsel was by announcing a presidential run. This investigation was being handled by the Department of Justice directly until Donald Trump made himself a candidate for election for president in the 2024 election. And that's been widely discussed as a gambit to insulate himself from legal trouble. The idea being, if I'm a candidate, that makes it harder for the Department of Justice to prosecute me. It becomes more politically thorny. He announced he he hasn't done very much campaign activity, which sort of goes to the idea that the real reason he announced is not in order to gear up to run for president, but really in order to create this position where he's a candidate because he thinks that will help him not get prosecuted. And so... Essentially, immediately after he makes that announcement, the Justice Department appoints a special counsel in order to address a potential conflict of interest that could exist because he's a candidate running against Joe Biden. And that means that now any decisions about whether Donald Trump will be indicted are effectively out of the hands of the attorney general and the other political appointees in the Biden administration. So that creates this kind of funny situation where if you have this political idea that, oh, since Biden has document trouble – 
Therefore, it becomes politically difficult to indict Trump over document trouble because it looks hypocritical. That does not need to be any concern to special counsel Jack Smith, who's overseeing the Trump investigation, right? Like, even if it is increasingly inconvenient for the Biden administration, it's in a position where it's out of the Biden administration's hands and it's out of their hands for a reason that was contrived by Donald Trump. Sure. So I I do think you're right that it was a a gambit to announce the run for presidency. I'm not sure it was a even plausibly successful gambit. But, I'm but it also caused not- the appointment of the special counsel. It's, it's not that it caused him to not be indicted, but I, I don't think they would have appointed the special counsel if he hadn't done it. I don't know if that's true or not. I think it would have depended on whether they thought that it would continue to be too politically difficult to go after Trump, whether or not he was a candidate out of the Department of Justice. As you say, once you've got an independent guy out there, he doesn't really have to give a shit about the politics. And that's huge. So he doesn't have to worry about it. And it doesn't immediately blow back on the Department of Justice and thus the president. So I think there's a substantial chance that eventually Garland would have appointed special counsel either way. Might have happened more quickly in light of the announcement, but I think it was likely either way. At any rate, you're right. We've got two special counsels. I think on this that escalating it to a special counsel does not appear to be a reflection of anything about the seriousness of it. In other words, you've got a situation where there's a immediate self-disclosure by the people who retain the records who are cooperating. That does not strike anyone as the type of situation that normally immediately escalates even to criminal investigation, let alone to full-blown, let's have a special counsel running it. I think it's an appearance issue, and that's where the uh, best interest, uh, the public interest comes in. You can't plausibly have one special counsel out there investigating and maybe prosecuting former President Trump for these types of violations, even if they're very different in the way they were done. And at the same time, have a new thing by Biden just being ignored. The appearance that there's favoritism and that, you know, what's good for the goose is not good for the gander is too strong. And too few people, I think, would understand that there are actually principal differences between the two scenarios that make the response very different. So I think this is, in a way, a political move, a move where it insulates the Department of Justice from allegations and it's shielding Joe Biden. And if this independent counsel, a guy who had recently been appointed by Trump to a U.S. attorney job, winds up saying there's no case here, then that's much easier to swallow uh, and and for people to get rather than Merrick Garland saying it. I mean, it's funny. We talked on the episode about how to be a good client about situations where you're really tempted to make public statements, either just because people find it awkward to be accused of things and they want to clear it up, or because, you know, they're in some sort of business or they're prominent and they have a reputation to uphold and they, they need to say something about what they've been accused of. But you can sort of have a flip side situation, which I think we have here, where sometimes you'd like an excuse not to talk, um, that there is an awkward story that you would like less attention drawn to and you'd like a good way to basically blow off all the press questions. And that's sort of what the special counsel provides here, right? That basically any official in the Biden administration who's not the special counsel, if the press asks them about it, they can basically say, well, the special counsel's looking into that and uh, we're, we don't want to interfere with that investigation. We don't think it would be appropriate to make any comments about it. And so we're not going to say anything further, um, especially when it's something like this that's probably not going to lead to criminal charges and you would like to basically just not talk 
talk about it too much and hope people sort of forget about it by the time many months from now when it, when the special counsel review ends up getting resolved. That's true. It's sort of a convenient PR strategy to have this this legal structure. So Biden has acted not like a perfect client, but <laughs> for tolerances of him being Joe Biden and being president, pretty well. He, he you know, shouted a bunch of reporters outside a helicopter in a sort of typical Joe Biden malarkey intensive way that, oh, yeah, we didn't know about this stuff. We turned it all over. We're going to cooperate with them. You know, the, the basic messaging. A criminal defense attorney wouldn't want to talk at all. Someone who recognizes there are political imperatives here would say that was probably the right balance just to say, oh, yeah, I had no idea about this. We turned it all over. And now we're going to cooperate. That was the right message. Uh, and you're right that having the special counsel makes it more plausible just to say we're going to cooperate with that person and mm -hmm. do whatever they say. So, uh, but that narrative and the narrative, there's a distinct difference between these two cases right. is not going to find any support among partisans. So, you know, congressional Republicans are going hog wild, treating this like it's the, the biggest case ever, even though, again, it was Joe Biden's attorneys who made the alarm. You know, they could have just chucked that stuff into the fireplace and, and no one would have ever known. I also, I mean, I think people sort of overrate the question of whether the treatment is fair and equal. I mean, I think I think you make a strong argument about why the situations are quite different and would call for different dispositions. But the other thing is, you know, this isn't a trial in the court of public opinion. If, if Donald Trump gets indicted, he's going to be indicted in a court. But Biden also had documents is not a defense in the court. I mean, I, we talk occasionally about selective prosecution and the extremely high bar you have to meet in order to raise that as a, as a defense. That doesn't apply here. And no. so, you know, if Trump is bellyaching about, you know, everybody does this. Um, and he and even if he genuinely thinks that his behavior was basically sort of normal, I don't think that's really relevant in the legal proceeding. And I think the question of whether somebody out there thinks it was unfair, I think it's a very little political consequence. Well, the people who think are unfair are people who are thinking that it's unfair what Trump is going through. So this is mm -hmm. just, you know, food for the uh, base for the Republicans. And I've been hearing it all over the place. You know, see, it's the same thing, but, you know, no one's doing a search warrant on Joe Biden. And, you know, you can try to say, well, no, dumbass, you don't do a search warrant when they give you the stuff that you would search for. <laughs> uh, they don't listen to that. Yeah. That's the end of this week's free episode of Serious Trouble. We do have uh, almost another 20 minutes of conversation for paying subscribers. We talk about Elon Musk, uh, who appears to be just about to go to trial in a class action lawsuit uh, over whether he defrauded shareholders in Tesla when he falsely claimed that he was going to take the company private in 2018 at $420 a share, of course. Um, very unusual situation for a case like that to actually go to trial. Uh, Elon Musk trying to get that trial moved away from San Francisco because he says everyone hates him in San Francisco. And anyway, we um, Ken and I talked some about the things that have happened in that case even before the trial begins that look quite unfavorable to Elon Musk. Uh, we also talk about the uh, disposition of uh, certain litigation related to the Trump organization, Alan Weisselberg, going to jail for a little more than three months, which he will be at Rikers Island. Yikes. Uh, and we talked about George Santos, uh, some updates on some uh, new possible areas of criminal exposure for him, uh, and talking about the two clocks that run against each other, the, the possibility 
possibility that he could be indicted and maybe use his House seat as a bargaining chip for uh, the the indictment uh, versus the clock that ticks on what is probably his only term that he'll ever be elected to in the U.S. Congress. So anyway, I encourage you, uh, if you'd like to hear all that, go to SeriousTrouble.show. You can become a paying member for $6 a month or $60 a year. That'll give you access to that episode and the full version of every single episode, more than 40 episodes a year that we put out of this show. Uh, We really hope that you'll join us as a paying subscriber. Uh, And even if you don't, uh, we will be back in your inbox soon. Thank you for listening.